are you working on your business or are you working in your business? And really is your business working for you? Talk to lawyers all the time. And I think that's kind of the biggest struggle is trying to get this business that allows us to have a, tr a real life. That's why I'm super honored to have Chris and David on here. He's gonna to talk to us about the four pillars of successful business management. I assume all of you already know her, but if not, uh, she's the number one best-selling author who's defended lawyers and doctors in malpractice cases in Portland, Oregon for 15 years where she was a partner at a successful firm before selling her interest. And while she's still currently of counsel at Bowerman Law Group, she now spends the majority of her time helping business owners to get this, learn how to run their business like a business. I know, crazy. <laughs> specifically empowering business owners like us to build thriving, profitable businesses managed by those four pillars of successful business management we'll talk about today. Her no-nonsense approach and result-oriented methodology allowed her to help thousands of business owners from small groups to 400 plus audiences. She is an avid fly fisherwoman, uh, which you've got to see some of the pictures. Like you have fly fish in <laughs> some of the prettiest places I've ever seen. Uh, avid knitter, geocacher so yeah. i'm pretty sure that's the you follow like the gps coordinates to find yep. something hidden all right cool uh gardener and of course from the julia child's brand of enjoying a nice glass of wine while cooking a wonderful meal so thank you so much for being with us today thank you for having me super excited oh i got a kitty in the room <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, the more so, the merrier the more the merrier right so Yes, thank you for having me. So excited to be here and so excited to just kind of help share business nuggets because that's always one of those things that if we can just give one person one little thing that they they then implement and use or a new way of thinking about it. Um, listen, law school didn't teach us how to do all these things of running a business. So sometimes you have to hear it from different directions. So happy to be on and share some of those tidbits. And honestly, the way that the best part about these shows is usually I'm the one who picks up a couple nuggets of wisdom as well. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to uh, asking some selfish questions, but questions that'll help everybody. All right. So we're going to dive into that in about 10 seconds. But before that, I want to talk about our last episode. Uh, last episode, a little bit different. On Monday, we had April Beach on. We talked about how you crushed the 90% online course failure rate. So for any of you attorneys who have a course or interested in putting together a course, you really have to listen to what April said as a way to uh, kind of work with the onboarding and be something that is a good add-on to your firm as opposed to swimming upstream. So some really great nuggets of wisdom with that. But uh, that's something you can check out after you listen to the amazing insight that Kristen has to share today. So when we're talking about this, <clears throat> excuse me, no-nonsense approach to successful business management, where do we have to start? Like, what's that first step towards actually getting this figured out? I don't know, maybe that's not even the right word. So the first part is always the planning. Like a little planning goes a long ways. It's why it's part of our logo. It's part of what we do is, you know, just spending a few minutes thinking about like, what do you want to build? Where do you want to go with this? Because if you want to build a quarter million or half million dollar law firm business, great, we're going to put a couple of things in place. We're going to add those automations. But if you're really wanting to get to like a million or $2 million, you're going to need to put in some additional levels to help your team have the structure and the systems so that everyone knows how to do a great job. So starting at the beginning, which is a little planning goes a long ways to kind of that first step. And it doesn't have to be, it's, it's not like a, a, a big, 
extensive 25 page document, you know, two pages, plain English. How is this going to make money? How are you, what do you want to accomplish? That's all it's about. And I love the concept of what you talked about there, because like, I think it's really easy for people to say like, Hey, every firm needs this, like add this, add more people at this. But instead I love that you're flipping that on its head where it's like, what are you trying to get at the end of this? And then let's talk about what you actually need, because I know you do some great stuff on uh, hiring a marketing director or a marketing coordinator and the size of the firm, because like not everybody needs those positions. If you're going to yeah. be, you know, a $250,000 firm, you can't really spend 150 on a director of marketing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's pillar one is planning. Pillar two is marketing and sales. Just like you're talking about it, your business, you know, falls apart if we aren't bringing the right clients in and converting them into paying clients. Or after 15 years as a legal malpractice defense attorney, I can tell you a lot of malpractice happens when you're working with the wrong kind of clients. You don't enjoy it. You don't want to pick up that file. You don't want to deal with it. They're not paying you. And then malpractice happens because we're not paying attention to that file and that client. So making sure that you're marketing and bringing in the right kind of people. So let me drop a couple of nuggets on that. And this goes with what you do, Jordan, in marketing. If you use the word, you know, we fight for your rights, right? You're going to attract a lot of people that are fighters. And if you love contested divorce and you love people that are going to argue, great. That might be your ideal client. But if you get pissed off that your clients never listen to you, they just want to keep fighting and they want to keep fighting and they, they won't listen to your resolution and your, your suggestions that it's a good negotiated settlement, well, go back and look at the marketing that attracted that fighter in. You're bringing people in potentially who innately that's that what they resonate with is just always fighting, all, whether they're fighting with the opposing party or whether they're fighting with their own lawyer. They're, they like to fight. So being careful and cautious about like who are we bringing in who do we like to work with and um i tend to believe that sales is all about movement here's where they are here's they where they want to be and if the law firm or business can help that person move forward they're going to buy from you or sign up every time and so a lot more words in your marketing and in sales about movement hey we love to work with people who are ready to move forward who want to be on the other side of divorce, who want to be on the other side of this criminal law trouble, like getting people to really resonate with that forward movement, A, they're going to want to hire you and B, they're going to want to get to a resolution as fast as possible. So pillar two is marketing and sales. And sometimes just a little bit of focused attention gets you a long ways. So I know you mentioned that concept of that ideal client. And I know, I think we've had this discussion probably 15 times across the internet on different platforms. So where does that come in? Like, is that, are we planning our ideal client in the planning stage or are we planning our ideal client as we're going to the marketing stuff and sales? Um, actually a little more on the marketing side. I mean, you can definitely start in the planning area of like, who's that idea, that audience you want to go after. But as we get into marketing, sometimes we have, I tend to put them into personas, which are groups or categories of people. And you might have, um, pick, pick a, a practice area. Give me, give me, Jordan, let's make this a real example. All right. Personal injury. Personal injury. Okay. We might have Bob and Betty, the kind of blue collar worker. And in that's persona number one. And 
they've got one car, you know, they both have jobs, but if somebody gets in a car accident and the car is totaled and they don't have, um, they're, they're out of work for a while, their messaging, their pain points are all about, I need money quick. I need another vehicle. I need to be able to pay my bills. Like they're freaked out about how are they going to just, they don't have a lot of savings, right? How are we just going to get them to the other side of this immediate problem? So different from that would be a persona of, um, I don't know, uh, uh, William and uh, Wilma, the, the white collar workers, right? They have a little bit more going on in their world and they've got some different, at, some different uh, assets saved up. They've got two, maybe three cars. They're not worried about like, how do I get money fast? They wanna make sure they're represented the right way. They're looking for a good client, a good attorney who is going to represent them and that they're not gonna have to that's going to take care of it for them, right? So the messaging to maybe that audience is a little more of we do it right. We've got you covered. We're going to take care of this so your precious time isn't wasted dealing with all the negotiations and the little things. So, you know, your messaging by persona, you could still work with both categories, but sometimes your marketing, you're going to test a, a, a campaign and go, well, let's, let's try to go after the CPAs or the doctors or the lawyers and their messaging is more about, you know, we do it the right way versus maybe if it's somebody that's that's got a kind of a nine to five job and they don't have all those assets, the messaging is a little bit about we jump in fast and get you results fast so you can get back to having a car and back to the life you were in. So, yes, I think the marketing that that ideal client, we use that, develop that a lot in that second pillar. and it changes, you test, you try, you see what resonates and, and then you pivot a little bit more. I love it. So, and then, you know, it's interesting because we talk about what do you need to be different size practices? I think that also plays in here. Cause obviously like if you've got that really shoestring marketing budget, it's, you're not going to have the same opportunity to get to both those people, but then like a, you know, a Morgan and Morgan, whatever might have 17 different yeah. ideal client avatars that they're going through along these lines. So. Very Correct. So at the at the smaller stages of growth, up to about a half million, I definitely say like pick one or two. As you grow, you get to add in others. But it also is a little bit about your own, like who do you like to hang out with? What's your story? What's what's your your passion? Um, many people really want to work with maybe a higher caliber entrepreneurs. Maybe their spouse is an engineer or an entrepreneur or an inventor. And the crowds they hang out with are more, you know, the higher level, and that's where they network. That's where they spend their time. That's where they enjoy. On the other hand, somebody else might be passionate about giving back, doing a lot of um, pro bono work, and we might create a firm that has a lot more volume, but we're taking lower end cases, and we're able to process and the way we can process more of them, even as a small firm, is automation and you know getting things so that we can get it done fast and so again many different ways to build it's about tying in though a little bit with what does the owner want to build and where's their comfort level well and the beauty of it is there's a million decisions that what you just talked about are going to help make easier you know if you're sitting there like i've got the money to hire one employee who do i hire if you've got the you know quick start clients then you've got to add, you know, more staff to answer the phone, to get their stuff milled mm -hmm. through. 
when you've got the client who really wants things done right, then maybe you want to add more of a customer service rep, a client yep. counselor, something along those lines. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And and that's why, I mean, part of what we do now is, you know, coaching business owners, everybody needs something different at different times. Some people are innately great at financial controls and some of us suck at it. Some of us are great at marketing and some of us suck at it and need some help. So, you know, part of this is really taking the time to listen and say, okay, what do you need? You know, each, each person's a little different. And that's, I think the beauty of being able to build a business that makes sense for each person is you tie into their, what they want, what they want to build. So. Love it. All right. So we've got planning. We've got sales and marketing. Anything else you want to make sure we cover before we get into the third one? Uh, no, we, we can always all come right. back to some of that because they all kind of circle back around. But the third pillar is management. Now, this is the biggest pillar because, like you said, as you start to grow and you get more clients in and sales is signing people up, we need some good tools to automate everything and systematize. We need some great people, even if they're part-time virtuals, to help get some of these things off our plate. And we need some management workflows of how we're going to get the services done. And that's the combination of where people quickly get in the weeds and can't seem to bear unbury themselves. And so to the management pillar takes a little bit of finesse. And it also, as you make more money, great, you get to hire more people. And we all, it's kind of like a, Jordan, you probably see this a lot, like websites. You know, people come in and they're like, oh, I want a website that does all these things, but their budget is very small. And it's like, okay, we got to break this into three phases. Like phase one, we're going to get you a base web page with these two things. Then later, well, you know, you could go and do this. And then later you could add advertising and other aspects. Like sometimes you have to do it in phases. You can't always get it all at once. And that's sort of with management pillar. You've got to kind of triage what, what can we really do right this minute versus great. As soon as we make more money, this is what we're adding in phase two. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I just want to like take... I want to take some of the pressure off to everybody listening or watching this. Like, look, you went to law school to be a lawyer and yeah. now we're talking about becoming a business owner. And now we're talking about becoming a manager, a CEO, I don't, whatever that role is yeah. until you can offload that to somebody else. So like really what Kristen just covered over the last 20 minutes, we're talking about like three different entire careers that people will have that you're going over in 20 minutes. So yeah, you're <laughs> like me, like, Oh my God, I hate being a manager. Like, don't, uh, don't worry. We, there's a lot of things that'll go into all of this. So when I, in my book, I tell the story of when I was a young lawyer and I, you know, managing this small law firm and trying to build it. And one of my staff members, I went over to her desk and I was like, this needs to be corrected again. Like she still had made the same typos, hadn't corrected the last draft. And I put it on her desk and I walk back towards my office and she yells, no. And as I turn around to look, I see the stapler she threw flying across the room towards me. And as I'm like leaning back to avoid it, I'm mentally thinking, can I fire her? Cause I didn't know as a young lawyer, like no one taught me HR 101. No one taught me management skills of what you do in this situation. And as, as it hits the ground, the stapler is like clacking around. She's like, I'm sorry. I forgot to take my meds. And now I'm really like, oh, what, what in the world? Like, 
can I, I have no idea anymore if I can fire her or not now that she said that. But we don't know this stuff. Law school doesn't train us, but doctors, chiropractors, they don't get an HR course either. You know, business ownership is one of those areas that it's not that difficult if someone just takes the time to give us a little bit of framework. But unfortunately, too often, we just end up out there and you have the Kristen David moments with a stapler flying across the room where you're like, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> We need to That's recreate that, like the uh, the the end of the first Matrix when he does like the slow time, like bullet yeah. dodge. I want one of those with like <laughs> you dodging a stapler. That was about it. That was literally how I remember it in my mind of like the mental thought as the staple, and then like she said that, and I was like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so listen, it's um, life is a journey, and and that's also. That was one of the reasons, Jordan, I wrote the book that I wrote on the four pillars of successful business management is that it was like the book I wish somebody would have given me, like get through it in an hour, tell me what I need to know, give me some action steps so that I know what I'm supposed to do. And um, it's been phenomenal ride with that book. I'm actually, you know, it, it was named in Forbes as one of the top 21 books to read this year. It was like, it's gotten such great accolades and encouraging me to to write book number two <laughs> well yes and exactly why you felt the need to write that book is why it's so successful like here you are having walked through this and now looking you know looking back over your shoulder uh metaphorically you're like these are the these are the steps these are the stories yeah. these are the tips these are the things that i wish somebody had told me on day one yeah. and i always find that to be the the easiest but really the best way to do anything is is you've been through this journey these are the lessons this is how you help the next person oh i absolutely hope that people don't take make all the mistakes that i made like that my job is to help make sure you avoid those <laughs> totally all right so management anything else and then we'll go to the fourth no, one you know we'll, we'll move it. off of management right. there's a ton there and and definitely as you grow it it comes back around so the fourth pillar is financial controls because as you get bigger you start having more money you have to be a good money manager now that doesn't mean you have to hire like a full controller you know it's a part-time bookkeeper in the beginning but it's just getting organized having a rhythm making sure you're looking at this stuff and then it kind of full circle comes back around a little you know next new level new devil Okay, we need to do a little planning. We need to focus some more on marketing and sales, a little more management, a little more financial controls. So it, you know, as you grow your business, you keep kind of cycling through, but at different levels of growth, you need different things. Well, and I love it from the concept of like at, at the point that you have all these things lined up and now you've got the end result from the financial standpoint, it's easier to like track that back. Like, all right, what was yeah. You know, did we plan for the right stuff? Did we have the right marketing? Do, you know, is management helping us handle things correctly? And then you kind of can work your way back and forth across all four of them yeah. uh, with better numbers the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. I And, and hey, I, I used to hate my numbers. Like, I didn't know that I didn't have a good CPA when I first started out. I did. He used to love to make me cry. He, like, I didn't understand all this stuff. And, you know, one of the happiest moments was firing my first CPA, getting somebody I could actually communicate with getting a great bookkeeper. I mean, like the bookkeeper I have right now, she runs circles around me and she makes my job so easy. Like you, you find great people and you're like, wow, okay, this is what life is supposed to be like. <laughs> well, and I think that also helps from the management component as well. You know, the better people you have 
underneath you or working with you, the fewer really true management emergencies or issues there are. Yeah. Yeah. So can we just actually tie, I mean, this is kind of off script, but can we just talk a minute about hiring and the fact that it's so difficult right now? It's definitely an employee market right now as we are in, you know, the world and, and people have their choices. Um, I, I know that's something that we are dealing with with a lot of clients. We created a whole hiring and onboarding boot camp by request of our clients um, because right now it's just we've got to people are like, where do I want to go work? And they have their choice right now. And they really they're tired of just going from job to job. They're looking for someplace where they really fit in and they really feel valued and appreciated. And it's also the time when we can get some really amazing seven year, 10 year, 12 year experienced people. And they'll take jobs at smaller firms because they're going to feel valued. They're going to feel appreciated. They're going to really be part of something and helping you grow. And so it's a great opportunity. If you just position the offer the right way, people will take less money and they're leaving big law. They're coming and working for small firms and small companies. So it's a great opportunity. As much as it's a tough market, there's great opportunities. Well, and I think that remote, the, the ability for so many more jobs to be more remote or be more virtual, be more work from home, allows you a much larger talent pool. Like you're not as geographically yeah. limited by where you are. Um, and so, yeah. you know, for people in cheaper parts of the country, that's to your detriment. For people in more expensive parts of the country, that's to your benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I actually was just working with some clients um, this week and, you know, one was their primary. So I run a completely virtual company. About half of my clients probably run virtual companies. Some have half brick and mortar, half virtual. There's only a few that are still fully brick and mortar. But, you know, there's one that I was working with yesterday in San Francisco, which is very, very expensive. Great. So the legal team needs to be there because they've got to be able to meet with clients and deal with court stuff. But the whole admin, marketing, sales team, everything else can be not in San Francisco, right? Same thing. I've got one in in uh, San Diego where they're, you know, the legal team is there, but the rest of them are all in different places. Couple in Wyoming, couple in, you know, like you don't have to have your entire team all in that one location anymore. And it absolutely costs a living in some of those areas. Way high. Yeah. Yeah. They had a. Um, there's a firm. I want to say it was like five or 10 years ago out, out somewhere in Texas, Houston or something like that, that was doing the Silicon Valley stuff. So they bought a, so they had everybody in Texas. They bought a private jet. They would fly out like a week or two every month. They would send limos yeah. to pick all the clients up to bring them in. And like they priced it out and it was cheaper. It was still cheaper yeah. to do that than it was to just have a regular office, you know, in the yeah. Silicon Valley area, just crazy to see. And obviously like now with all the technology over the last, whatever it was, 21 months, it would be that much easier to do something like that. And I think the public are ready for that. Like, I think now people think nothing of, and, and even the courts are starting you know, more Zoom hearings. And in some areas, they're not even going back. I mean, they're just like, in a lot of jurisdictions, they've now formally said, from now on, all arraignments, all this, all that are all going to be virtual. We don't need the brick and mortar on a lot of this stuff anymore. And, uh, you know, hopefully that will actually increase the ability to get things done and not be waiting at courthouses like I used to do as a litigator. <laughs> Well, so let me spin this back on you then. From the standpoint yeah. of that firm owner listening to this, ready to go more virtual, how does that impact? I mean, I think management's the one that probably impacts the most. I, there's a 
financial savings and whatnot, but like, how do you, how do you, what do you suggest to them when it comes to that management pillar as they're going virtual? Absolutely. So this is where, um, so our client happiness coordinator is also a team happiness coordinator. And just like we reach out regularly connect with our clients, we also have to be very intentional about creating a culture and reaching out and making sure everyone on the team is feels like they're appreciated and taken care of. So we do a couple of things. One, we have a culture where it's catch people doing things right. And so every week we have in Slack channel and also with some little presents we send, we get our different team members to say, hey, I wanna give kudos to so-and-so. They really stepped in, helped me on this. They covered when I was sick or on vacation. Um, they just did an amazing job. This client just talked them up. And so as a team, we celebrate that and recognize the duty, the, you know, the great work people are doing, even though they're in the Midwest or they're on the East Coast or West Coast or, you know, they're, they're kind of in their little islands of places. You know, I also have team members in Europe and in South America. And so, you know, always kind of being inclusive and recognizing different cultures and having fun celebrating. Um, so... Yes, a lot of it goes into being intentional of recognizing, appreciating. Uh, Jordan, we're also now, I mean, I've, I've really been growing this business and we're so large that we now have a team newsletter every Friday. And, you know, not everybody does a weekly blog and a weekly external newsletter, but we not only do weekly on those, we do a weekly team newsletter. And it's so that the coaches because we've got eight, nine coaches that work with our clients, recognize and appreciate what marketing team is doing. And we recognize and appreciate what sales is doing and what they're struggling with. And we recognize what the admin team's working on. And every week they're like, admin saying, hey, we just you know finalized 19 new policies and procedures that we've streamlined and made better. And you know, so everyone's appreciating the hard work all the other departments are doing. And it helps us come together more as a, as a united team. Um, but we also do team builders. We've done mixology classes, Zumba class. Um, we have a lot of fun. And yeah, so, you know, it's, it's when you're moved to a virtual atmosphere, you need to kind of orchestrate and plan it a little bit. Well, and if you figure from the standpoint of like, I don't know, I've spent... 60 something thousand dollars over the last couple of months on a uh, space that nobody really needed. Like if we reinvested half of that, you know, imagine being able to have three, four, five thousand $5,000 carved out for each employee towards yeah. the Zoom class, towards, you know, sending the, the culinary class or the tasting, yeah. wine tasting, whatever it's going to be. Um, you could do a lot of those things and still save money and still have happier and more invested people. Yeah. And so we have, we have guest speakers come in and talk about wellness, diversity, inclusion, um, you know, so every quarter there's like guest speakers, every quarter we try to send something that's a fun little like group gift or whatever to each member of the team. We, um, the, our team happiness coordinator has a budget every month, uh, several hundred dollars to just spend on team members, like buying them funny things. We've sent bobbleheads and, you know, just crazy fun things, but that tie in with what they like. And it's the same, whether it's brick or mortar or a virtual a little bit of this is that we have to take time to understand our team. How do they learn? Because some people like myself, very visual learner, some people very analytical or, you know, need the words or the, you know, they, everyone learns different, recognize that. 
and take the time to understand what what drives them and what are some of their hobbies. Sometimes that helps us see, are they real competitive? Are they very nurturing? They do a lot of give back, right? We just showcased one of our uh, team members, uh, Real Men Wear Pink was part of the, in an October campaign. Hey, there we uh, go. I don't know Coach, if you can, uh... There you go. Coach Will was doing. And so we highlighted that and supported him and donated a bunch of money in his name. And um, the whole team got behind me on that one. And we, we had a lot of fun. So it's recognizing that there are, people are humans outside of the, the, the business world and, you know, getting to know people. And, and so that really makes it fun to like work side by side, whether it's virtual or in person. And I always love, I always love the concepts about culture because like, from my perspective, your office culture or your firm culture is your internal brand. And so when you're talking about that firm that's trying to be the go-to expert, you know, who's trying to be the right and best fit for the highest level case, the biggest professional, whatever it is, you better be doing that stuff internally because then your staff is on board with it. So when they're having the engagement with people, when they're doing the work, you know, they're from that same mindset of dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Um, and so it's so cool to hear, you know, you guys going above and beyond for all these things, which I'm sure a ton of your clients then steal for their own internal use and end up finding great value out of it as well. And we try to make everything we, I'm a pretty open book. Everything we do, we pass on to our clients. Literally, we have swipe files in the Business Mastery College. We're like, hey, everybody, here's our give back campaign. Here's how you can do it too. And we literally give them the step-by-step -step procedure of how they can do it with their own team. The Thrive Project. Here's how you can do it with your team. Like all these things. Um, but yeah, culture is how people work when you're not there. It's it's how they're, you know, they how, what they resonate with. And I would say our core values, I, I push core values in anytime someone's hiring, they need to be looking at their core values. Anytime they're talking about team trainings, marketing, like core values pop up all the time. We even, almost every newsletter we, to the team, we talk about one of the core values or highlight somebody on the team that exemplifies one of the core values. So we're always kind of tying it back in and you know, that's part of attracting and bringing in people, a, a group that like, we're also very systems orientated in my business because that's what we help business owners do is build systems. And so if I was actually interviewing someone and the guy kept doing this, like crossing his arms, every time I said the word systems, he got like more distant and more pissed off. And I finally had to say like, I've noticed you seem to be getting irritated about this. He goes, systems are shit. You just need to trust that we know what we're doing. And I'm like, and there's the door. Like he didn't even make it past the first interview. And you know what? That He'll do great somewhere else, but just right. not on my team, right? So yes, culture is such a huge part of it inside and out. And I want to echo that so much because when you have people sitting there in the hiring decision, I guess this, this is, we, we've gone down the, the path towards this, but anyway, it's like, oh, this person has a great resume, but I don't know if they're a good fit for us. Like that, but is the most important part because yeah. you know, even if that guy is going to be great, the minute he's gone, there's nothing left for the next person, as opposed to somebody who's, you know, 80% as good, but will follow the system. It's a lot more scalable. It's a lot more replicable. It's a lot more, you know, uh, scalable uh, growth mindset. well and we'll we'll waste so much mental energy butting heads all the time if the person's not the right fit for that position and um you know we we i love like personality tests and like asking questions like 
tell me about your habits. Like, what do you, how do you love to work? And kind of digging in and trying to better understand, like, how do they think? What are they, you know, and, and you, you, there's no perfect formula, but at least to be paying attention to that aspect, so important in the hiring process. Absolutely. Love it. All right. So we, we did a lot on management and hiring. Anything else that you're seeing recently that you want to make sure we can get some insights um, to people on? You know, I, I think being authentic, I mean, kind of coming back to messaging, I mean, there's one part of it is being a brand, right? And creating that brand that can be, especially if you plan to build a business that's scalable. And a lot of times I encourage business owners and they're smaller as they're working up, start using the word we, our team, because otherwise they just want the one owner all the time for everything. And you've got to, you know, plan for that day when somebody else can do the intake and sales, somebody else can answer questions. It's not all just the owner doing it all. But I think sometimes every now and then people have gotten into such a big brand, they've lost some of that authentic messaging. And, you know, every now and then I get on, I do live streams. I'm like, today's a tough day. Business owners, there's going to be tough days. Like I have them too. Part of it though is reconnecting with your why. Why are you doing this? And if you're not in alignment with that, sometimes that's a note that we got to make some changes. And um, I've, I've had some clients in the last couple of years that they've come to me miserable and we've really pivoted where they're going and they're so much happier now. And one of them has quadrupled her business and only works 24 hours a week now, right? Like she is happy as happy. And, you know, it, it just, you know, find what you're, you're, you want and what you believe in. And then when we do do the marketing, let's make sure that there's some authenticity to that and that there's, you know, it's, it's, it's not all rainbows, you know, it's not all whatever, but, um, you know, you want to invoke confidence in your clients, but you also need to be real, I think is part of it. Well, and I, I love it from the concept of like, it is the practice of law. And I really hammer people on like, we are constantly practicing and it's the same for marketing because people change and things change yeah. and algorithms change and whatever, but like, you should be looking for progress, not, not perfection. And yeah. so those days that suck, you know, instead of having a year that sucks, then you go to a month that sucks. Then you go to a week yeah. that sucks. Then you go to a day that sucks. Then Days. you just go to in like an hour every now and then. And it's like, all right, cool. Like that's my proof of, you know, we're making progress here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is part of, you know, why we're, you know, as we go through life, it's, it's a journey and, you know, and, and just when you get comfortable in one area, something else chaotic comes up and you got to pivot a little and, um, that's part of pivot is you can tell pivot is one of my favorite words. I actually did a blog that was like my 10 favorite words in business. And I was going through listing them and I got to the end of the blog as I was writing it. And then I was like, Krista, how many of these are actually part of your core values? Like words you use in your core values. Cause I, you ha we have like a little description afterwards and, um, no kidding. Like they were all over in my core values. I was like, no wonder they're my favorite words, but a uh, pivot is one of those because innovation is, is one of our core values and you have to try things and streamline. And sometimes you find that it doesn't work and there should be failures and you should be like, well, that didn't work. We got to pivot and do something different here. And if you're not finding failure and pivoting enough, it means you're not pushing yourself into new areas enough. And, um, 
but it's okay to recognize with ourselves, like when we wake up one morning and it's like, this isn't working. Yeah. Okay. Let's acknowledge that. And let's find a better way. <laughs> the first step admitting you have a problem. So yes. Along those lines, like for that firm owner, who's listening to this or watching it, are there like of those four pillars, are there ones that people normally get the most hung up on or they have the similar problems or like, how do you, what do you see from your clients in terms of the most common, like, this is my issue? I would say for a lot of people, they kind of in their mind have an idea of what they want, but they haven't taken the time to sit down and kind of flesh it out a little bit more. And with just, I mean, sometimes just in a 30 minute call, triage call, we're able to help people. People tell me all the time, oh my gosh, Kristen, like I have so much more clarity now about like what I want to do. And I just like taking a few minutes to like, just have some honest conversation about it. Um, the other thing I would say is that the management side and the fact that, and, and maybe it's the doctrine of self-sacrifice that law school beats into us, right? Literally. We have this belief that we like have to do it all and when it's not getting done and we need to stay up till midnight and get it done and 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 yes there are a few times when you need to do that but honestly learning how to say no learning how to shut your laptop sometimes learning how to say good is good enough like those are some of the most important things that need to happen that have to come through with a uh, as you build and grow and, and really, so that management side of things, very important and very, uh, you know, just that's the, that's their biggest problem when they come to me is that they're stuck in chaos and they're trying to do it all themselves and a little bit of mindset to kind of shift out of that, that chaotic mode. That's one of the biggest things we see. So uh, let me, I want to address those separately. So from the first side, the person like, they've got a good enough view of that end goal picture. So it's like sort of getting that macro view and really boiling yeah. them down into the micro steps to get there. Yeah, I, um, and not even every micro step, but at least just kind of, um, you know, we talk about when we do workflows, like the 10,000 foot view, you, you do the life cycle of a client into seven phases. And then from there, each one of those phases, you break into the 5,000 foot view of kind of what are the big tasks. And then below that, you have the thousand foot view. Okay, for each of those tasks, what's the who shall do what by when, like policy and procedure that goes there. So a little bit of it is that at that planning stage, it's just like that big picture, 10,000 foot view. And then starting to look at that 5,000 foot view of, okay, if I wanna get here, I'm gonna need an assistant to get the emails and stuff off my plate so I have more time to do this. So it's just kind of getting a little more granular and starting to go, okay, if I want this by first quarter, I need to do this in fourth quarter and kind of backing it up a little bit. So um, yeah, that's, I think, a little bit of that energy and focused time creates amazing results. So, and kind of same question for the ones who are just like in that moment of chaos, like is that, is that their solution also is really kind of breaking it down into those smaller steps or is there like a different need? Yeah. Um, I, again, it's bringing it down and saying like, who else can you, can help you? And they can say like, you know, I need an assistant to do X or Y. And so that kind of builds that out, but it's one of those things where, uh, you may not always have the, the team to help you. They may not always have, the resources and financial 
to have like a full-time executive assistant, but you can whittle it down and just say like, okay, this is sucking my life and time away. Who can I find even just a friend that can help me two hours a week to get that off my plate? Like sometimes it's just a little bit of time and energy. And it's like, get that off your plate. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to that, uh, you know, practice, not perfection. You know, you're expecting this yeah. amazing unicorn to come in 40 hours a week, completely change your life around. But instead, those small steps will get you, honestly, will get you a lot happier and also get you more time to put into finding the next thing that you can delegate off to somebody or the next person you can hire or the next thing you can outsource or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Um, as, as we used to say in my jury instructions, it's, you know, the practice, not the perfection of you know, legal services or medicine, you know, it's, you know, we all do our best based on what we can at the moment. It's, there's no perfection involved. It's, it's you, you triage, you make the best choices you can, but it's all about moving forward and, and getting as much done as you can without killing yourself. <laughs> yeah. But look, I, business is all about what are you going to sacrifice? Are you going to sacrifice yeah. money? You're going to sacrifice time. You're going to sacrifice energy You're going to sacrifice whatever it is. And I just, I love that you, I want to, we'll, we'll uh, bookend it. I mean, like really what you were talking about at the very beginning about setting up the, your why, what are you trying to build? What do you want this to look like? What do you want your role in it to be? Really helps through all these things. Cool. All right. So as we get towards the end, anything else you want to make sure we cover any other insight you want to share and we will have your final takeaway. So just know. Um, we'll get to the final takeaways. The one last thing I just want to touch on is creating systems and documenting what we do and how we want it done. And everybody seems to think that it's this big, ginormous event, but really what builds a system are the little pieces. It's just sit down and explain why are we doing this and here are the steps. Get a checklist, map out a diagram, record a little video, um, have an, an example of what good looks like. So for all those lawyers out there, you know, you, you can't expect a para or a, a contract attorney to come in and just miraculously know how you want it done. Just grab an, a copy of that motion or of how you scheduled, say, hey, this is what good looks like. This is what we want to do. And that right there is like the start of building a system and building the, the, the stability to let other people do a great job so that you don't always have to be micromanaging. So my, my big, you know, my final takeaway with all of this, whether it's in the marketing system, sales systems, legal service systems, admin systems, right, financial systems, just get started. Just as you're doing something, document it, set it aside. It can be in draft. It's not going to be perfect. And over time, that's what builds up. And finally, you'll start getting those good systems in place. Love it. All right. So let me talk about our next episode for a minute or two here. Uh, that's going to air on Monday, 11, 8, 1 Eastern time. So the same time that this episode was on, but on Monday, we're going to have Tracy Matney on. Tracy's going to talk about the simple secrets to sharpen your sales mindset. So some really cool information when it comes to sales tips, because I know if there's one thing lawyers hate, it's sales, even though that's all we do. We are selling our case to a jury, to a judge, to opposing counsel, to an adjuster, to you know, state attorney, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Like you got to get better at sales. Um, but Kristen, I know you gave us so much. And if you want to repeat something you already said, that's totally fine. But if somebody's been listening to this for the last you know, 50 minutes, remembers nothing except what you're about to share now. What would be that biggest piece of advice, that most important thing, that way that another attorney listening or watching this could be the exhibit A 
of a successful attorney like you are? Don't reinvent the wheel. Like way too often we all think, oh, I got to figure this out myself or I got to dive in. It's like, no, if you look at the most successful business owners out there, the multi-million dollar business owners, they are not reinventing the wheel. They are using what other people have done. They tweak it, make it their own. But whether it's like on the policies and procedures and systems, I mean, that's why we sell so many of them is people are like, yes, give it to me 85% done. So there's only a little bit. Whether it's in, if you're not sure on the framework of running a business, get get our book, get, you know, do a little reading or researching, like use what other people have done and use that, then leap off from there. Don't make 10 years of mistakes and be like, wow, you know, like learn from the people that have already been there, like learn from all of their mistakes. So yeah, I think my final tidbit of really growing successfully is don't reinvent the wheel. There's no way I could have gone from zero to a hundred thousand dollar months in the first year of this business had i tried to do it all from scratch myself like you've got to use what other people have done and then tweak it to make your own and seriously everybody like kristen is truly walking the walk that she is telling you here you know <laughs> if you're interested you know there's up leveling my business we've got a bunch of links here there's really some awesome stuff that they've put together and i love you i mean I, you mentioned this kind of as a throwaway but to me it's it sits so well like a lot of what you all have created is based upon the feedback from your clients in terms of what they need, in terms of what they're looking yeah. for, in terms of, you know, what it is. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me.